0: Welcome to Bitcoin Macro, a pop-up podcast produced as part of the Coindesk Invest New York conference in November. I'm your host, Nolan Bowerly. Both the podcast and the event explore the intersection of Bitcoin and the global macro economy with perspectives from some of the leading thinkers in finance, crypto, and beyond. I'm here with Travis Kling from Ikigai Asset Management. Uh, Ikigai Asset Management is a crypto hedge fund. And we're here really to give a preview of the kind of content and speaker that we'll have at our event in November. And one of our major themes this year is really Bitcoin as it is in the world today. We want to get some idea from some of our speakers of how they see Bitcoin on the global stage. So, we're going to be running a series of speakers through this podcast over the next few weeks to answer some preview questions uh, about things that we'll be talking about on stage. So, these questions will be of a similar order for each of the speakers and really are about Bitcoin's behavior. So, the first question, Travis, is Bitcoin a macro asset? Thanks for having me, Nolan. Uh, Bitcoin is unequivocally a macro
1: asset. It is a fledgling macro asset. It's been around for going on 11 years now. And first, I would say seven plus years of that, it really was just kind of a computer science experiment in the closet of a bunch of computer science nerds. And and then it was a magic internet money for drug dealers to buy drugs on the internet. And then it was blockchain and not Bitcoin. And Then it was for Americans to buy coffee at Starbucks. Maybe it was to save Venezuelans from a million percent inflation. So it's it's gone through a number of phases uh, in its history. But I would say that two, three years ago, it it stepped out onto the global stage. And uh, its presence there has only strengthened since then. And it's definitely our expectation it's going to continue to strengthen over time.
0: So, as you see some of these movements, global uncertainty, we see this sort of perhaps what people have called a deglobalization of, of the world with a lot of these trade war issues. Do you see Bitcoin? So, you've got sort of a main stage of macro assets within that. Is Bitcoin in the wings waiting to come on stage? Is it actually on stage and maybe in the background? Uh, where is it in that scene? Is it, is it right in the main stage already and no one knows? Or is it in the wings? Is it a background singer? Uh, where is it? I think it's a baby X-Man. <laughs> a baby X-Man. That's what I think it is. So the, the, the X-Man being the mutation part of it. And
1: stronger than everything else, yeah. Yeah. but but still a baby. So so, so a baby X-Man, mm-hmm. uh, a normal person could probably walk over and push on a baby X-Man and it'll tump over and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it'll even cry a little bit. But uh, it's pretty clear what it's
0: going to be when it grows oh, up. I, I, I like that. I like that assessment. And, and would you say that the grow up part is really sort of Lindy effect? Uh, aspect, the, the length of time that it's around? Um, does that make it more like gold because it's survived?
1: Lindy effect definitely matters. Seeing these booms and the boom and bust cycles matters. The amount of people paying attention to it as it booms and busts, I think definitely matters. Because I, I think 2017 ushered in, like that brought Bitcoin to to the global stage. And it ran up 13x in calendar year 2017, and it went down 73% in calendar year 2018. And, you know, when we were sitting here in in mid-December of 2018, there were a lot of no-coiners that were feeling really vindicated, right? And there were a lot of RIAs that had their clients banging down their doors, telling them, why am I not in this? Don't I need to get into this? Everybody was feeling very vindicated, right? And then just like that, it's up 100. and 60% 60% year to date and is the best performing asset class uh, by a wide margin, the expectation is for that to continue. And I think that uh, the way that that continues to play out over the next couple of years is, is, is pretty unequivocally heading in the right direction. And now that there are more and more eyes on it, then we've got more and more, you know, potential people that have now done the work and are, and are ready to invest.
0: So you had mentioned uh, a note about Venezuela. Is Bitcoin a safe haven asset? Is this something that can be used uh, in instances where where there are this kind of trouble? Is there a larger is there a larger scenario than the ones we're always talking about about Venezuela? Is can this be used for for what's going on in Hong Kong, for example? By safe haven asset, I mean. Is this something that really is a manipulatable or, or maneuverable instrument right now for a lot of these people? Is it accessible to them?
1: Yeah, like, like we talked about a minute ago, Bitcoin's gone through a bunch of phases in its life. And I think that, that sometimes people get confused about literally what is Bitcoin. And, and so I always like to take the opportunity. Bitcoin is a non-sovereign, hard cap supply, global, immutable, decentralized, digital store of value. And that's a lot of adjectives to throw in front of there, and uh, but each one of them is important, and it is a hedge against monetary and fiscal policy irresponsibility from central banks and governments globally. Now, Bitcoin is undoubtedly a risk asset today, and it acts as such. Um, it is not. It is not a safe haven asset today. Um, people uh, are speculating that. Bitcoin will become a safe haven asset one day, because it has the characteristics to be a safe haven asset. Gold has been gold for 5,000 years. Before we stored value in gold, we stored value in seashells, we stored value in salt, we stored value in really big rocks in uh, Asia Pacific islands. There's characteristics around what makes a good store of value. And it's the six characteristics of money. It's an Austrian economics framework. It, uh, it's durable, it's divisible, it's portable, it's uniform, it's accepted, and it's scarce. And when you and when you look at gold next to BTC within that framework, BTC actually lines up really well. Like I said, gold's been gold for 5,000 years. Bitcoin's been around for 10 and a half years. It, it jumped out of obscurity about three years ago. So it's going to take a little bit longer than three years to... Um, to usurp, uh, you know, a 5,000 year store of value. And, uh, and, you know, I'm not even saying that that's necessarily going to happen in our lifetime, but uh, BTC's market cap is 160 billion right now. And gold's market cap is 8 trillion. If you just claw into, you know, just, just a part of that, then, then obviously the, the return potential is, is tremendous from here.
0: So, so the question then is who gets the 9 trillion first?
1: (laughs) I would guess, I would guess with what's going on in the world right now, gold, gold will get there first you know, the, the, the future is exceedingly bright. And, and, and to, to go back to, to the Venezuelan point, and, and I don't, I don't want to talk about something that I don't know about because I've never been to Venezuela. And I feel, I really feel for the, for, for the folks that, in the situation that's going on down there. But I, I think that if, if I'm in Venezuela and I can choose between a Bolivar or a Bitcoin, I'm definitely going to choose a Bitcoin. But what I really want is a dollar. Mm-hmm. And um, a dollar is a great method of exchange. Right now, Bitcoin is, is not as good of a method of exchange, and that's okay. Um, I like to say that Bitcoin's too good at being a store of value today to be a good method of exchange today. Because nobody wants to be the Bitcoin pizza guy that spent 2,000 BTC on a pizza. Mm-hmm. And the expectation is that the price is going to continue to rise. Realized volatility is going to continue to fall as, as it has been. I like to remind people of that. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is a very volatile asset, but mm-hmm. the realized volatility of Bitcoin is decreasing at a at a logarithmic rate. Mm-hmm. So really quickly, mm-hmm. as quickly as the price is going up, mm-hmm. which is 22 million percent over Bitcoin's lifetime. Mm-hmm. And as that continues to occur... And you have uh, Lightning Network being built out, and uh, which is Bitcoin's Layer 2 scaling solution. And uh, uh, eventually it's our expectation that you're going to have a, a make or die type of solution built on Lightning where you can stake BTC, um, get back a stable coin, pay interest on that stable coin. As long as you pay that back, then you get your BTC back. Mm-hmm. Lightning is essentially infinitely scalable. And so... Um, it's okay that it's not a great method of exchange right now.
0: Yeah. So, so you, you had mentioned, you know, that, that it's got these qualities, but that it is still able to be, let's say, pushed over as this baby X-Men, <laughs> uh, which I think is a great image. You know, it's on stage and, and it can be pushed over. Uh-huh. Um, and the next question is, what does it do in a recession? Does a recession push it over? Or does do we start to see the actual attributes, those superpowers come out in a recession? Because we might be there. So this is, yeah. this is a, a low time preference question.
1: It's a great question. Uh, it's a complicated answer. I think the first thing I'd say is it depends on what type of recession. And it depends on where the recession emanates from. It depends on the severity of the cause or causes of the recession. And it depends on what the response of central banks um, and governments globally to that recession are. So for example, right now, we're going through this dollar shortage situation that has been certainly all over mainstream financial media and, and for good reason. Looks like 2006. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's aspects. The the, the 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 first symptom of this dollar shortage situation first first popped up when when the the Fed funds was offsides from the from the overnight offer rate, mm-hmm. and then you had the repo market, and that's been that's been going on now for like six months, mm-hmm. and that's it, that's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. The rational actor explanation for why that. Uh, uh, spread between Fed funds and overnight, uh, uh, the, the the Fed funds rate and the overnight offer rate would p- persistently stay open is one that's uh, kind of scary. And then we had the repo market blowout last week, and you had um, the, uh, the Treasury uh, Fed had to have to step in and essentially issue fifty three billion dollars worth of quantitative easing to to uh, assuage this this situation and. People, you know, Jay Powell at the Fed meeting last week, and others are calling this transitory, saying, "Oh, oh, this is this is um, because corporations have to pay their their cash taxes right now, even though." They have to pay cash taxes every time this year, so everybody should know that that's going on. Um, they're saying that that it's it's because of um, the six hundred billion dollars worth of treasuries that are going to be issued issued between now and the end of the six hundred billion of treasuries issued between now and the end of the year um, that's sucking up all the dollars. There's 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 probably some truth to that, but um, this is exactly what happened right before Lehman, mm-hmm. and um, they said it was transitory then too. And I'm not saying that there's a Lehman lurking around the corner because I, I, I don't think that there is, but but there are problems starting to, to show up here. The the global economic data is undoubtedly turning down right now, mm-hmm. um, and it's turning down uh, uh, in, in 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 concert. Every it's all turning down at the same time. It's all turning down at the same time because the whole world is is now on this this central bank trade mm-hmm. and on this this cheap money trade. But it's apparent. That central banks are going to cut interest rates and juice QE into infinity mm-hmm. to to either prevent a recession or prevent the the or, or kind of have the, the recession be as soft as possible, mm-hmm. um, and 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 those forms of, of quantitative easing are going to be increasingly more exotic because in the in the same way that you know if you do heroin long enough then you got to keep t- taking a bigger and bigger shot of heroin, mm-hmm. um, you need you need increasingly more exotic forms of QE. Um, to to get uh, a, a similar type of effect, because if you if you're in if you're in Europe and you cut interest rates from from negative forty bips to negative fifty bips, it just it just doesn't make that big of a
0: difference. Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna change their habits all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, and so so if there is a big liquidity squeeze mm-hmm. um, that kind of uh, w- w- you know immediately kind of kicked off the, the the financial crisis last time around financial crisis it wasn't a, like Lehman didn't go down because of subprime it went down because of the overnight lending market mm-hmm. and and then there was liquidity crunch it was sub subprime was sort of the. The, the skeleton in the closet, but but it's it was the the, the overnight market repo markets that that really caused That's this. So it made um, it irredeemable. Yeah, and and. Um, And so, if you have some kind of liquidity squeeze like that again, that kicks off, uh, you know, another recession, yeah, it's my expectation that Bitcoin price will go will go down in that. I I mean, you know, we're sitting here talking about this the day after Bitcoin's price went down more than Mm ten percent, which was a week after the repo market blew out. Like, I I think those, I, I mean, I think those two things are
0: are related. How do How do you mean they're related? Uh, In a sense that they, you know, from a certain point of view, it's the exact opposite behavior you would expect. So,
1: so the repo market, like the the euro dollar market, is 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 like an, a, another way to think about this, which is like literally like a quadrillion dollar market mm-hmm. annually, mm-hmm. and most liquid sort of market of of anything in the world. And if, if you if you throw a big rock in the middle of a pond, how far do the ripples emanate? Mm-hmm. They they ripple all the way out, mm-hmm. increasingly smaller ripples. Mm-hmm. So if you throw a wrench in the quadrillion dollar, euro dollar market, um, how far do the hiccups, Mm -hmm. you know, spread? Mm -hmm. And uh, the 30-day circulating supply of Bitcoin is $15 billion. Mm -hmm. So how small does the ripple of the Mm -hmm. global liquidity market have to be Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, send the $15 billion of circulating supply of BTC uh, you know, down 10% on any given day. It just doesn't take much. There was
0: a chart I think that you mentioned to me a little while ago about the HODL waves along that line, which was, look, how what Bitcoin is actually available out there because you've got all the HODLers and they have this bet and they've had this bet for a long time about uh, the Extinguishment of power of central banks and that that will be a trade and that the, 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 the global traders are coming to bet against the banks um, So you mentioned this HODL chart, uh, and, you know how, how do you use this HODL chart to see what's going on and, and to really understand Bitcoin's liquidity in this in this instance?
1: Yeah, so so we like to look at, at, at just overall trends and we look at how much BTC has moved in the last one day in the last seven days 30 days 90 days six months one year uh, three years and five years And, you know, a a gentle reminder that there's like two and a half million Bitcoin that have never moved before. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the the all Bitcoin in existence is like 18 million, but like two and a half million of those are are probably lost or they're Satoshis. And I don't think he's moving them anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can see trends. There's really interesting trends in terms of, of periods of accumulation and then periods of distribution in terms of of old coins not moving for an extended period of time and then moving. And uh, the bottom line is that if, if, you're, if you're seeing, you know, older coins stay put, then the price really can't go down all that much because you're just continuing to take new coin that is in sort of uh, uh, loose hands and transferring it into stronger hands that understand the potential and the promise of Bitcoin and aren't going to sell them for $3,000 $3,000 a coin, for example, in, in mid-December. And so there's lots of derivations of work that we do around hot waves. And, and the, the, uh, we also talk about uh, days destroyed, Bitcoin days destroyed, which is the the sort of opposite side of, of hot waves, which is, um, you know, if I buy one Bitcoin, hold it in my wallet for a year, and then I send it to an exchange on that day, there are 365 Bitcoin days destroyed, right? Because you stacked up, you held the Bitcoin for a year and then you moved it. And the beauty of the blockchain is that every single Satoshi you can track like that, you know, in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for a, uh, for a naturally analytical guy like myself, uh, there's a whole host oh, of, of really fun analysis. It's a dear diary. Yeah, it's great.
0: So I want to go back a bit to the, what we were talking about just a, a few minutes ago about the quantitative easing and, and that large trade that the central banks are, are asking everyone to make. Um, you know, it's always been my, my opinion anyway that Satoshi Nakamoto took the Japanese pseudonym in order to say and have a type of authority that I know what happened in Japan in the 90s and the lost decade and the, and the negative yield and, and, and all that stuff. And basically, you know, wagging his finger to America and the rest of the world to say that you're now in this boat. You now have a completely weakened central bank that doesn't actually have the levers to pull any longer. They, they will fall into the cycle of, of perpetual QE. Um, is that sort of a, a, I'm not saying you have to subscribe to the Satoshi Nakamoto mm-hmm. 1990s tying in a Japan thing, but is that what you're seeing? Is it, is it basically that, that, that the levers are broken and this is the trade to make because this power is gone?
1: I had never thought about the, the Japanese aspect of it. It makes a lot of sense. It, it strikes me as, from what we know about Satoshi, it strikes me as the kind of thing that he would do, unequivocally libertarian, mm-hmm. unequivocally um, cognizant of what central banks you know, were doing at the time. The white paper came out the week after Lehman collapsed, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, look no further than what was written on the Genesis block on January 3rd, 2009. Chancellor on brink of second bailout of, of, of banks, and um, uh, I think that tells you all you need to know about uh, uh, what what Satoshi was thinking about when he was when he was creating and, and and giving Bitcoin to the world.
0: So, so Travis, you do come from a more traditional background, and the. Next question is really about how you, I guess you can say, still peer over that fence. So how has the narrative changed around Bitcoin in the mainstream financial world over the last six months? Mm. Is it that different? And I'm saying six months, not from 2017. Yeah. Um, you did mention a bit about how there was a bunch of uh, schadenfreude back in December when everyone was laughing at, at Bitcoin people. You know, and now here we are, I guess, uh, almost 10 months from that uh, you know, big laugh they had. Where are we? So the first thing I'd say is still not dead mm-hmm. right which is a, which is a very important thing
1: yep, yeah. Bitcoin's prices declined more than seventy percent seven times in its uh in its history and uh, in eighteen it, it did another one of those, and uh you know every single time it, it's sort of come roaring back to life and now it's uh now it's um two hundred and thirty percent off the lows in mid December. Um, you know, far and away the best performing uh, asset of, of 2019 across, across all asset classes. There has been increasingly more work that's been done by institutional investors and folks from, from, from more traditional asset classes that didn't have experience in crypto that have, have done more of the research to understand what Bitcoin is, some of the mechanics around how it works, because it's like, look, the mechanics are not bite-sized. I get it. I knew nothing about cryptography before I jumped into all this. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about computer science before I jumped into all this mechanism design, game theory, sociology, governance. There's, look, there's a lot of things that you have to yeah. you have to think through. Deep uh, talent yeah, stack. Yeah. I mean it's just it just it, it encompasses many things. And so you are not gonna you're not gonna bang out three 30 minute blog posts and get it, right? You're not gonna listen to one podcast and and, and get it. But increasingly investors have have done the work and are incentivized to do the work because you know now everybody's sitting in there Thinking about what they were doing in mid-December when Bitcoin was was three thousand dollars, or January, February when it was low three thousands, and and thinking, oh man, if I'd uh, you know I almost put a hundred grand into that thing at the time, mm-hmm. if I'd have just done that, you know, I would have had the down payment on a nice house right now. Mm-hmm. And people think like that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Institutional investors think like that. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're humans, mm-hmm. and so I think I, I think that that's part of it. And then in the meantime look, you've got increasingly more institutional-grade infrastructure that's, that, that's being built, right? A year ago, Fidelity didn't custody this thing. Mm-hmm. A year ago, the New York Stock Exchange didn't trade this thing. A year ago, Whole Foods didn't accept this thing. Mm-hmm. A year ago, Microsoft wasn't building an identity platform on top of this thing. A year ago, you didn't have half a dozen qualified custodians of this thing. So, so, so you, know, a, you know, regulated exchanges, all, like, the, 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 the space is maturation- you know, sometimes I wish it moved faster, but when you take a step back and look at the forest through the trees, we've covered a lot of ground over the last two years. And so um, uh, I, th- I think the outside world is, is definitely taking taking note of that.
0: So we've talked about a lot of things today. We've talked about QE. We've talked about global hedge. We've talked about safe haven currency, a bit about the technical innovations coming on Bitcoin. Um, but But... What I would like now is really just a chart that informs uh, this, I'd say, really optimistic and powerful belief you have mm-hmm. behind Bitcoin. Yes,
1: yeah, so my, my, my chart is the chart of over the last year of uh, the price of gold, the price of the offshore, offshore renminbi and the price of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. uh, which, which moved um, pretty much in tandem until um, a little over a month ago. And then BTC um, has, has pulled back while gold and, and, and their Rembi have, have, have shot up higher. Mm-hmm. And the, the safe haven store of value digital gold, I've heard some macro investors call Bitcoin high beta gold, mm-hmm. which I think is like an interesting way to sort of think about it. Mm-hmm. And there's been a disconnect over, over the last um, uh, six weeks or so. And, 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 and why is that disconnect happening? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pretend here and, 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 and say that I, I know exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be a situation where Bitcoin can act as a safe haven asset up to uh, a certain level of stress in financial markets or act as a safe haven towards some types of uh, financial stress, or it may just be that it's a safe haven at $6,000 and it wasn't a safe haven at $13,000. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, Bitcoin's price moves swiftly, and, 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 and so we'll see how all of that plays out. Um, but, but I think, you know, I could throw negative a- aggregate, uh, aggregate negative yielding sovereign debt. I could throw that on that chart, and it would look like a pretty similar situation. I could throw the 10-year the break even in terms of the inflation expectations. It's all sort of, it's all wrapped up in this same sort of central banker uh, uh, type of uh, uh, driven trade. And you know, I think Bitcoin has the ability to be to be right there in the middle of it, but um, uh, we'll see how how it plays out through the rest of this year and moving into 2020.
0: Travis, thanks a ton for your time. Uh, Really interesting stuff. See you in November at Consensus Invest. Pleasure. Thanks, Nolan. Thanks a ton. Enjoyed this episode. I'd like to personally invite you to come to Invest New York in November. The event features not only the speaker you just heard, but an array of other amazing thinkers. Visit coindesk.com and click events or simply follow the link in the description. Thanks for listening and see you in New York City.